You know, some of you this week have been the recipients of some maybe good news or encouragement. Others have uh, faced maybe not such good news. So it's my prayer today that as we worship together that, that whether it be rejoicing or whether it be sorrowing, that he will meet with us today, that we'll be helped. And we can receive that help today by turning to Ephesians chapter 5. Take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 through the end of verse 18. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is God's word pray. Our Father, we came to Jesus just as we were, but Jesus has never been content to leave us as we were, but that we might grow in grace and our understanding of our Lord. So today, may measures toward that growth take place. May there be a renewal in our hearts today to pursue holiness for the sake of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. In the summer weeks, we are in a series entitled Hot Topics. We began last Sunday, and the first thing we asked was this, should a Christian smoke pot? Now, when I mentioned that last week, some, some people laughed, you know. I understand we don't hear that that often at church, I guess. If you weren't here and you would like to go back and listen, you certainly go to the church website. It's, it's there either in audio or video. But today we're asking the question, should a Christian drink alcohol? Now, let me, let me say at the beginning, I know that there's going to be different opinions about this. There's going to be some who have strong feelings, those who have come out of a lifestyle of alcoholism, maybe you know, destructive family element, or maybe themselves having been a slave to alcohol. So they're, they're, they're going to have some pretty strong feelings about how they feel about alcohol. Others would have a more casual approach to the subject. So I think it's only fair to give you my bias. I have a bias. I have a, a personal position. I do not drink alcoholic beverages. However, my abstinence is not what makes me a Christian. See, I wouldn't want you to think that I think, oh, well, you know, he doesn't drink. I guess, I guess that's what makes him a Christian. No, no, not at all. I have not put my faith or my trust in my abstinence. That would never save me. I could be spick and span morally and still be lost. I do not feel that my abstinence makes me more holy than others. I, I hope I never express the attitude of, well, you know, I don't drink. Now, this person does, and this person does some things, but I don't, and therefore that makes me more holy. No, the truth is, whatever I am, 
I am by the grace of God. And that's the same for you. So I do not come this morning with condemnation for anyone who drinks. I do come, I hope, I do come with the same spirit of concern that Paul has for the believers in Ephesus. The text that we just read is part of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians, not to the world. Uh, Paul is not addressing the world. He's not judging the world. Paul is addressing the church. And I hope that I can come this morning with the same spirit, the same concern that the Apostle Paul came to the church of Ephesus with. And, And I want you to look at verse 15 with me for just a moment. Paul said here, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, why, it's always a good idea to ask questions of what you read. The question here would be, why did Paul say this? What is Paul getting at? And it's important to know that beginning back in chapter 4, Paul began to say, I urge you to walk in a manner of your calling. I encourage you to walk in a worthy manner. You see, in the first part of the letter, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesus, Paul has been laying out to the believers God's salvation of grace through Jesus Christ. Telling believers, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. In other words, God has been at work for a long, long time pursuing you on a mission work to come after his elect. And Paul lays out for three chapters the glorious salvation of God by grace, not through human works, but by grace. And the idea is this, that one is reading this letter and they're going, wow, wow, look, look what God has done. I, I put my faith in Jesus. I've responded. I've received the good news. And I'm just overwhelmed at what God has done. And then Paul says, okay, now walk in a worthy manner. Since God has done this for you, since God has been so gracious to you, here's how you should walk or live. See, what Paul's saying is, Christians, live up to your calling. You're now part of the family of God. Live up to the family name. Don't bring shame to the family name. Don't bring disgrace to the family name. Live your life in such a way that you walk worthy. The word walk's interesting, too. It doesn't say run, does it? It says walk. It says be careful, then, how you walk. And Paul uses the metaphor of walk, no doubt, to show steady progress. In other words, the Christian should be making steady progress in their pursuit of Christ-likeness and holiness. That's what we've been called to. That's what God has saved us for. And so when we come to verse 15 in chapter 5, the text that we've read, when he says, look carefully then how you walk, what he's doing is he's fleshing out. He's helping us to get a handle on that. He's fleshing out what all of this means. You see, you may be here this morning, and you may be a professing believer, and you may intellectually understand Christian teaching. You may say, yep, okay, yep, I believe that. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe this. I believe this. And you may, you may believe these things. My question is, are they affecting how you live? They're supposed to. Oh, yes. 
See, what, what, we, what we believe in our head is supposed to work its way into our hearts so that it affects how we live. And that's why Paul is saying, watch carefully how you live. Don't be unwise, but live wise or live sensibly, he says. So this is the urging that Paul comes to the church with in the first century. I come today with the same urging to you, little flock. I come to you with the same spirit of urging you, live carefully. And so, in light of this call to carefulness, should a Christian drink alcohol? Most parents here today would be happy for me to say that drinking and alcoholic beverage is a sin. Most parents would like for me to just go on record and say, look, if you, if you drink, if you drink anything, if you take a drink, if you take a sip, you've sinned. The Bible doesn't say that specifically. I think anybody who picked up the Bible would notice that there's drinking going on in the Old Testament. There's drinking going on in the New Testament. See, what is clear, what is clear is that drunkenness is a sin. Oh, no, no drunkard will enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're told in the scriptures. And you see, parents, we need to be careful here. Here's what you don't want as a parent. You don't want to outright lie or mislead your child about what's in the Bible and what's not. It's been probably 20 years ago, and so there's a family that used to go here. They're no longer here. Um, the father had told the daughter and drilled it into her that it was a sin, that the Bible said it was a sin to marry someone of another race, in other words, to, to have a biracial marriage. He drilled that into her. So when she grew up and she fell in love with an African-American gentleman, he brought her straight to me. Brother Van, you tell her that it's a sin, it's in the Bible, you tell her. And I said, I can't tell her that because it's not. See, Mom and Dad... What's going to happen when they find out that what we've misled them about is not true? And then they're going to, but here's what's going to happen. They're going to say, I wonder what else I've been told about the Bible that's not true. So I really don't think it's the best idea to, to, to try to suggest that the Bible says something that it doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to drink an alcoholic beverage because there's going to be somebody, there's going to be somebody at some point that's going to come along to you. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me if the, you were out in the Mojave Desert, and I don't know why you would be there in the first place, but if you were out in the desert and all you had was a beer, you can't tell me that you wouldn't drink that. You know, there's, a, there's going to be that kind of silly stuff that goes on. So the Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to drink an alcoholic beverage. However, 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 I will spend the remainder of my time this morning encouraging you to question the wisdom of doing so as a Christian. Let's just tell you ahead of time, I'm going to spend the rest of my time encouraging you to question whether it is wise as a believer to drink. Why? Because Christians should live wisely, sensibly, according to God's reality. We're going to look at this in a series of a few questions. And the first one is this. Is the wine in the Bible the same as today? Now, some of you are pretty industrious. You can get online. You can check these things out. You'll find that there will be a lot of back and forth over this question here. But there's one thing that is beyond dispute. 
There is no one-to-one correspondence between the alcohol of Noah's or Jesus' day and that of the present day. They're not the same. There's not a one-to-one correspondence. In other words, in other words, if you are making your decision as a believer to drink or whatever it may be, you, 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 you need to know that if you say, well, they, they drank in the Old Testament. Noah drank in the Old Testament. Yeah, that didn't turn out so well, just, just for the record. That didn't turn out so well. But if you're making your decision on, on Noah, well, just understand that it's not the same today. It's not a one-to-one correspondence. And why is this important? It's important because the alcohol content in some beverages today is so high that they seem designed for the very purpose of getting people drunk quickly. In other words, you know, alcohol content today is, is different than in biblical times. Some say, some say that the wine drinking in biblical times combated the problem of poor water quality in biblical times. Now, think about it. That, that's something to think about, okay? Because you live, you see, you live in a part of the world where the water is dangerously bad. It's swimming with microorganisms that are dangerous to you, maybe even deadly. And so what was the idea in biblical times was to water it down, use, use, uh, use some alcohol, I should say, with the water. And ingredients in the wine would kill the harmful microorganisms in the raw water. And that is probably why that Paul said this in 1 Timothy. Notice this. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. I, I, love, I love those, you know, those you know, young folks in the church who you know, want to exercise their Christian freedom. And they say, well, 1 Timothy, Paul told Timothy to drink. He didn't tell him to get drunk, did he? And notice the context. Notice the context for this verse. No longer drink only water. Why? Dangerous. Potentially dangerous. But use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. You see, history records examples of mixtures such as three parts water to one part wine, all the way up to 20 parts water, one part wine. Now, here's what we're asking. Is the wine in biblical times the same as today? No. No, we need to factor that in. If you're, if you're really serious about asking this question, answering it, you need to factor that in. You see, I think you would understand that alcohol would certainly not be necessary for this reason for us, would it? Do you, do you, do you having water problems at home? You got little microorganisms floating around in there? Probably not, right? You know, water company pretty well takes care of that stuff. You got bottled water. Really not, in other words, is alcohol necessary for that reason? So it's important when we take up this question to recognize the difference in today's versus biblical times. Let's just, let's just understand that. Second question. If drunkenness is a sin, what is the best way I can avoid it? Again, let's be clear. There is no dispute. Drunkenness is a sin that will exempt someone from their place in the kingdom of God. Now, some of you here today might be risk takers. Uh, and, and, and that can be good and it can be bad. Uh, for example, uh, I know people who have taken some risks in the world of finance, risks that I would never take. I, I, just, I just can't bring myself to do it. But they would take a risk and do really well. And I would scratch my head later and think, man, I wish I, I wish I was risky like that. Then there's people who risk their lives for others. So, you know, we don't want to rule out risk altogether. But then there's some risk that is just foolish 
and even deadly. And so let me ask you a question. As a Christian, I just want to just ask yourself this about yourself. Are you the kind of person who wants to see how close you can get to the edge without falling off? Let me just ask you, are you the kind of person that's kind of a risk taker when it comes to your Christian life? You want to see how close can I get to the edge of the world? I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to still be part of the world, but I don't want to lose my grip on the things of God. So, but I'd like to get real close as I can. I want you to see a picture. This is one of the most dangerous roads in the world. Uh, someone asked me after the end of the first service where it was. I think it was South America. I can't remember exactly. But here's the point. You and your family are on vacation. You have to travel throughout the country, and you don't know where you're going. And so you say, we need to hire somebody to drive for us to show us the sights. Question, do you want somebody who wants to see how close they can get to that edge, or do you want someone to drive who stays as far away from the edge as they can. You get it, right? There's no guardrails on this road. I don't want anybody driving me and my family and seeing how close they can get to the edge. Why? It's not wise, is it? Oh, I know some people. I know, look, look, you know people who, you know, they just got that, they just got that wild side to them. Look, in some cases, it's just not wise. It's unwise. It's not careful. It's careless. But put your finger on verse 17 for just a moment. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, you know what Paul is saying to believers there? The closer we drive to the edge of foolishness, the further away we get from God's will. Words, I, think, I think most of you would say that I, I want to be in God's will. I want to follow God. I want to please him. I want to do what he wants for my life. Well, then don't drive close to the edge of foolishness because it will put you far away the will of God. You see, by all means, God does not want you drunk. For it is then when you are exposed to the ungodly elements of this world. See, that's, you see, you may wonder, why in the world, you know, what's so big deal about this? Why, why can't I just get, why just can't I get smashed once? You know, just gotta, just gotta, just let it go. God doesn't want you drunk. Because when you're out of touch with reality when you are, and you're opening yourself up to the ungodly elements of this world. That is exactly what's happening here in verse 18 when Paul says, do not get drunk with wine. He's talking about the pagan religions of that day who, who, who would get intoxicated thinking that they were elevating themselves and somehow better, better, in a better position to worship the deities and the false gods. So if drunkenness is a sin, how can I avoid it? Simple answer, make no provision for it. I mean, imagine, imagine you're buying a security system for your home. Why? Because you want to secure your home. You, you don't want any entrance that is vulnerable. You don't, you don't want any window a person could crawl in. Or you don't want a door that they could just walk through, jimmy the lock. You, don't want that. you want a security system that's going to keep out the harmful elements, right? But then what if you decide one day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disconnect the back door. I'm going to disconnect the back door. I'm not, I'm not going to have it hooked up to the security system. Everything else is, but I'm not going to worry about the back door. That'd be pretty foolish, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty foolish. Because what you're doing is you're making provisions for evil. Friends, if drunkenness is a sin, make no provision for it. Next question. Have I seriously considered the double Ds of dependency 
and damage. Uh, Let's start with the first one, dependency. Have you considered the addictive, enslaving power of alcohol? Now, some of you, you you know, you've come from a family where there were those who were enslaved to alcohol. I want to read you a story. It's it's true. It's absolutely true. Uh, For six months, a German farmer was trying in vain to capture his runaway bull. The bull had escaped during the summer and hid out in the Baravian woods. So he attempted to lasso the bull, but the bull would always flee into the woods. The farmer tried shooting the beast with a tranquilizer, but the darts proved ineffective. So where this farmer failed, there was another farmer that succeeded. He saw the black bull eating grain out of one of the buckets on his property, and so he tried, and he failed to snare the cautious beast, but he had an idea. When the animal came back the next day, this farmer mixed more grain with a bottle of vodka. The day after, he soaked the grain in two more bottles of vodka, and once liquored up, the escaped bull was easy to capture. According to one news report, the bull has never has now been returned to his owner and will not be allowed to go out again. Now, when I read that story, I thought, you know, the bull had maintained his freedom until he hit the sauce, right? And what happened after that? The door slammed. Freedom, freedom, enslavement. See, maybe, I want you to think about this. Maybe you have an addictive personality and you haven't thought about it. Uh, Right now, the big, you know, the big thing among young hipster Christian people is, you know, is, is social drinking. You think, hey, you know, look, I'm drinking with friends, drinking with some of my coworkers, and I, I'm free to do that. I got Christian freedom to do that. And so you're drinking, and uh, you're drinking with maybe some people you work with. You've had a few drinks, and uh, the mood's kind of light. And one of your coworkers looks over, and they say, you, you know, you're, you're funny when you drink. You're so funny. I know you in the office and, you know, you're so straight in the office and everything. You're so down to business. But you know, we out like this, you, you're a lot of fun when you, you're drinking. Now, that, that's a lure, okay? Like fishing. That's like a lure. The lure has landed on you and you're going to take it or not because here's what it means. The lure is, you know, I sure want people to like me. I want my coworkers to like me. That means everything to you. And so... You say to yourself, hmm, seems like I'm more fun when I'm drinking. They like me when I'm drinking. They like me when when I'm funny. They like me more. And you take the lure and the door slams shut. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. What did Paul say? Don't be unwise, but wise. Now, I know somebody's going to say this, so let me just throw it out there. They're going to say, well, okay, alcohol's addictive, but so is food. Food's addictive. Food can be dependent. I want you to look at a picture with me. This was an accident in Michigan where a nurse was killed by a drunk driver on her way to work. Look, this happened not because the driver had too many chicken wings. Dependency. But then there's damage. Some of you know the damage of broken homes, broken marriages, broken lives. My earliest encounter of alcohol had to be somewhere around five, six years old, maybe, maybe younger. We would go and we would visit relatives, and I would hear the whispers that would say, well, we, 
we can't go over there today. He's, he's been drinking. Uh, don't, don't go across the street. Don't go over to their house. He's drunk. Didn't really understand it. But I knew there was just this something negative, something dark, something not so good. Friends, the Bible has far more negative things to say about drinking alcohol than positive things. Understand that. In fact, let me, let me read you an extended passage here that, that kind of lays out the damage. Proverbs chapter 23 asks, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Next question. Will drinking help my Christian witness? I want to focus on three different categories of people here. Will drinking help my Christian witness to fellow believers? Notice these verses. 1 Corinthians, but take care that this right of yours. Now, what does he mean? This Christian freedom. This, this idea, I can do, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm free. Doesn't bother my conscience. I'm free. Be, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Romans 14, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Friend, I don't know how you can read these passages and not see that we are called to take care of fellow believers. How we live around them, how we use our Christian freedom matters greatly to God. And the key issue is do not be a stumbling. What's that? It's an obstacle or a hindrance for Christian living. It's something you might do that would cause another believer to stumble in their careful living for Christ. See, some think of Christian freedom as a freedom to do, where Christian freedom is a freedom for, to care for and to serve others. It's a freedom to live an unselfish life. See, we were saved from selfishness. Christ died that we might no longer live for ourselves, but live for him who died for us and rose again. So we were saved from a selfish life to live an unselfish life. I mean, think about it for a moment. You attend church with men and women who have come from a background of alcoholism where it's ensnared them. They were in its grips and they've been broke free. Do we really want to advocate for drinking for their sake? I guess it's been about 20 years ago. There was a man who came to this church, him and his family, and he wanted to join the church. And he told me, he said, I'm a micro brewer. I, I, you know, I make my own beer. Thought, well, okay. And we, we talked through some things, but it became really clear 
that he had a strong sense of Christian liberty. So much so that he, he told me this on the phone. I'm going to invite people over to my house and I'm going to drink and I'm going to encourage them to drink. I've got liberty. I can do what I want in Christ. It became very clear that he did not care about this church. And so I told him on the phone, you will not be joining this church. Now, you know, some, some, some agree, some disagree. It really don't matter to me because it's all about protecting the body of Christ. Because his attitude was, I don't care about my fellow believers. My Christian freedom's more important. So there's fellow believers that, that our witness, the impact it will have upon fellow believers. But then there's our children. And some of you have children, grandchildren. You see, what you choose to do, you may say, I've got freedom to do this. I, I'll do it in moderation. You don't have to worry about me, Pastor. Have you ever thought what you do in moderation, your children may do in excess because of your example? I mean, they're watching us, right? You, you know who they are. And what we do, what we, what we say we can handle, they may not be able to handle it. Can you live with that? Can you live with that result? Then there's the witness to unbelievers. I want you to see a picture of a man you probably know, Max Licato. He said in an interview this, one thing for sure, I have never heard anyone say a beer makes me feel more Christ-like. fact of the matter is this, people don't associate beer with Christian behavior. Now, you may agree with that, you may not. But listen, I think that is very true. First, the first statement, a beer can make me feel more Christ-like. Get, get real. Wake up, wake up. But that second statement, people don't associate beer with Christian behavior. I think that's true. I think that the unbelieving world looks and doesn't associate drinking of any kind as being part of the Christian life. Now, whether they're right or whether they're wrong, look, look, look you can argue that with somebody else. But listen, it's their perception, their perception. I've yet to see how drinking improves someone's testimony or makes a more effective Christian witness. I just, I'm yet to see that. I've been a Christian for 38 years. I've yet to see how the choice to drink gives us a more effective witness for Christ. One final question and we'll be done. Will drinking help me live carefully for Christ? Our text said, look carefully then how you walk. I, I think that most of you here today are dead serious about living for Jesus. I, I, I want to believe that most every one of you here are, are like, look, I want, I want to do this. I want to live carefully for Christ. Then know this, and especially my young friends, know this. You, you will be trying to live carefully for Christ in a world where alcohol will be promoted as normal and sophisticated. And you will be looked upon as odd if you do not participate. You understand that. If you say, I want to live for Christ. And it's real easy to do sitting here today, surrounded by fellow believers. You inspire, I want to live for Christ. And I want you to. I, I, I pray that you do. But understand, you will be trying to do that in a world that promotes alcohol as normal. The best they can do is say this, drink responsibly. It's the best they can do, drink responsibly. It'd be helpful, I think, to remember a passage from last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Can I, can I ask you again to be thinking about what is helpful for me? I mean, if you're here today, you really want to live for Christ, what is helpful? What will help me to do that? 
What will help me to grow in my walk with Christ? What will help me to be more Christ-like? There are a lot of things, a lot of things coming at me. Some of them are good and some of them are not so good. And i got to make some decisions. Are these things helpful for me? Then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved. Friends, you've been set free to live for Christ. Don't be enslaved by the things of this world. I mentioned Max Licato just a moment ago. I want to read you something a little bit more lengthy, and it's, it's, it's a public confession of his. I want you to listen to this carefully. Max Licato is one of the most well-known Christian authors and speakers in the world. He had a problem. Here's what happened. Author and pastor Max Licato said that giving up beer helped him get closer to God. Licato said, quote, I come from a family of alcoholism. If there's anything about this DNA stuff, I've got it. For more than 20 years, drinking wasn't a major issue for Licato. But a couple of years ago, it nearly became one. He recalled, and I quote, I lowered my guard a bit. One beer with a barbecue won't hurt. Then another time with Mexican food won't hurt. And then a time or two with no food at all. One afternoon on his way to speak at a men's retreat, he began to plot. Where could I buy a beer and not be seen by anyone I know? He drove to an out-of-the-way convenience store, parked, and waited till all the patrons left. He entered, bought a beer, held it close to his side, and hurried to his car. Cato said, I felt a sense of conviction because the night before I had a long talk with my oldest daughter about not covering things up. Lakato did not drink that beer. Instead, he rolled down the window, threw it in a trash bin, and asked God for forgiveness. He also decided to come clean with the elders of his church about what happened. He said, when I started to share it with the elders, they just looked at me across the table and said, Satan is determined to get you for this right now. We're going to cover this with prayer, but you've got to get the alcohol out of your life. And here's what he said to finish. And I really took this as being from God. Brothers and sisters, while Jesus was on the cross, he was offered wine mixed with myrrh. It was a mixture that was given to crucifixion victims to dull the pain and to keep them from having to endure the pain and the consciousness of of such a brutal death. But Jesus refused to take it. He refused to take it because he was going to take no shortcuts on the way to our redemption. He was winning our redemption, and he refused to take that mixture that would dull the pain. And because he himself suffered when tempted, the Bible says this, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help those. I mean, let that sink in for just a moment. See, because if you're here today and maybe you haven't been thinking about these things, maybe you haven't been thinking about your witness, you haven't been thinking about living carefully, maybe you've, you've drifted a bit in your Christian walk and you find yourself turning more to alcohol. Let me, let me ask you pastorally today, what's really going on? What, what pain are you trying to soothe? See, see, the reality is this, you are looking for help. You're looking for help. But by, go, by going to alcohol or whatever it may be, you, you're, you're saying, I've got something going on in my heart and I need help. Jesus is able to help you. Jesus is able to help you. What should you do? You need to talk to somebody. You know, it, might be, it might be this. It might be, I need to go to my spouse and I need to just be honest. 
I need to tell them what's going on. What, what began, what began is, is, is innocent and moderate. I, I know, you know, you notice Max Lucado? He waited till no one was around. He held it to his side. See, it causes us, when we, when we start driving close to the edge, it causes us to start hiding and isolating ourselves and backing into the darkness when actually we've been called to walk in the light. So I want to encourage you, step, if this is a problem, if you step out of the darkness, talk to somebody and receive help. There is real help for you in the person of Christ. My fellow believers, let's be wise. Let's avoid any path that could lead to intoxication and unwise living. Let's just decide. Let's just decide today with God's help. No more of that. No more of that. Turn it away from that. Why? Because I don't want anything that will take me down the path of drunkenness or intoxication. Let's instead, like Paul said in verse, in the verses 18, let's be being filled with the Spirit. Right? That's the call for the believer. Not to be intoxicated. Not, not, to, not to put ourselves in a place where we cannot walk in step with God's reality but rather to be being filled with the Spirit, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. May God be pleased to give us all a renewed resolve to pursue holiness.